After a convincing preseason win, is Miami's fast-paced offense sustainable? Plus the results from the latest NBA GM survey and did Miami give up on Precious Achua? All that coming up next. You are Locked On Heat, your daily Miami Heat podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, Heat Nation. I'm David Ramil, the host of Locked On Heat, the longest-running podcast covering your Miami Heat. Thanks for making Locked On Heat your first listen every day. And remember that every episode is always free and available wherever you listen to podcasts to make sure you subscribe and follow to get the best coverage available. So as I said before, I'll be talking about the results from the GM survey. Pretty favorable uh, analyzing Miami's offseason and also their front office and some of the moves that they were able to make this past season. And, you know, Precious Achua, former Heat player, now is starting off his second year with the Toronto Raptors. And it looked good. But I'm still not convinced whether or not it was the right move for Miami to give up on him. And I'll talk about that in the third segment. But I'll start off today's episode with pumping the brakes a little bit. (sighs) I know. The worst part of my day. Having to provide any kind of semblance of balance perspective or anything like that. Because believe me, there's a part of me somewhere that wants to go completely overboard with the projections for this team like 82 and 0 seems like an understatement at this point uh 98 and 0 as i saw some people tweet out yesterday very very realistic and attainable uh however let's be honest not likely to happen considering you know 75 years of nba history in which that's never happened but uh this team looked really really good and they looked really really good without their superstar in jimmy butler one of their superstars because let's be honest Kyle Lowry and Bam Adebayo also fit the bill. They had immediate chemistry. They had a nice pace to the game, as we talked about in yesterday's episode. The fast-paced offense was incredible. It was looking ahead, making sure that the right play was being made, always moving forward, not letting the defense settle down. And I, my biggest concern is not that it's sustainable, actually. I, I think that if Kyle is given the keys to the car – I think we'll see something like this much more regularly. But is Kyle going to get the keys to the car? Is he going to be in charge of running this? And where does that leave Jimmy Butler? Because I keep harping on this. And I know that Spolster kind of squashed that when I was asked about, you know, when I asked him about the offense and who runs it and things of that sort, he said, oh, you know, smart players figure it out. Keeps using that. And I think he's going to stick with it. I think he understands that players will figure it out. But there has to be some kind of balance. And when you're looking exactly at how this team works, partly, you know, Jimmy being a non-shooter, it's okay for him to have the ball in his hands because he can make those decisions. He can find the right cutter. He can find Duncan Robinson out in the perimeter, Tyler Hero, or Bam working in the low post, etc. For Kyle to have the ball in his hands, that kind of forces Jimmy to be one of those off-ball spectators. And I'm not sure that's a role in which he is suited for because he's not a shooter. That's the biggest concern right there is that Jimmy, what's he going to do? If Kyle is pushing the pace, either Jimmy has to run ahead in order to get an easier look at the basket, or if Kyle is just moving in a half-court set, what? where does that leave Jimmy Butler? And I'm not so sure that there's a clear answer to that. And I hate doing this because, again, yesterday's win, a very nice one. A very convincing one for Miami without Jimmy Butler in the lineup against a good Hawks team coming off the Eastern Conference Finals appearance. However, missing a couple players in the starting lineup 
It's a preseason. It's a preseason, right? You you have to take everything that you see in with a grain of salt. I, I recorded an episode of Locked on NBA on Monday night following the Miami game, and my former co-host here on Locked on Heat, Wes Goldberg, we had some incredible, uh, you know, just overreactions to a, the first night of NBA basketball from the preseason. Uh, you know, it's it's easy to get kind of caught up in the hysteria. I don't know how sustainable or translatable it is. I don't know if it's going to be something that we see regularly during the, the regular season. But when it comes to Miami's offense, there have to be some concerns, right? Like, Jimmy Butler is not a guy who who thrives off ball. He, he's, he's thrived with the ball in his hands because he has shown an expert level of decision-making. He knows exactly what the ebbs and flows of the game call for. He Part of what makes him... To me, such a special and unique player, and I've said this before and I'll say it again, to me he is second only to LeBron James in his decision-making and understanding the pace and feel of the game and what's required, not just of him, but of everybody else around him. It doesn't get talked about enough. In fact, there was a recent analytical survey of, of players, I think, breaking down their playmaking ability and their shot-making ability or their scoring ability. Jimmy rates higher as a playmaker than he does as a scorer. Despite his shooting, despite his ability to get to the rim, despite his free throw scoring, etc., he ranks higher as a playmaker. It's always been kind of under-talked about. I don't know why. I don't know if it's just it doesn't fit the narrative of him being a selfish player or an asshole or whatever it is that people want to believe about him around the league. But when it comes to Jimmy Butler, he's so good as a playmaker, which is why Philadelphia incorporated him as the point guard and rendered... Ben Simmons useless in that playoff run against the Toronto Raptors in which Toronto eventually wound up going on to win the NBA championship. But Jimmy Butler was thriving in that role and, and Brett Brown, the former head coach of the Sixers, had to come to the realization that Miami's, I'm sorry, Philadelphia's offense was much better suited working through Jimmy. Now all of a sudden, you've got a quote-unquote problem because Kyle looked phenomenal in his first preseason game and taking the ball out of his hands, not quite as good. And Jimmy, unfortunately, not turning into the shooter that we had hoped he might be at this stage in his career, still playing very effectively with the ball in his hands. Now, if he has the ball in his hands, conversely, can he initiate the offense as quickly and as easily as Kyle does? No. That's just the answer. That The reality is that, as Eric Spolstra alluded to in the post-game press conference on Monday, he's been trying to make this a fast-paced team for years. The problem before Jimmy Butler was... Goran Dragic, who was very quick, but not necessarily always uh, initiating offense for himself and others and had lost a step even by the time he got here. But also, Dwayne Wade. Dwayne Wade is the primary ball handler for much of Eric Spolstra's tenure as the head coach, has always been kind of slow in bringing the ball up, much more deliberate, a guy who works much more effectively in the half-court set and doesn't necessarily look to push the pace of the offense. Jimmy didn't either. Dwayne didn't either. And now all of a sudden you've got Kyle who looks to do that frequently and effectively. And it works so well because Bam is the quickest center in the NBA and he thrives in the ability to get past slower plotting setters. Either you start off somebody small and quick enough to hang with him and he's going to get beat because of Bam's sheer athleticism and, and, and power. 
or you put somebody a little bit bigger that can contain that power to some degree, and they're not going to be able to keep up with BAM speed, which makes him such a, unique, a unicorn, a unique player in today's NBA. I know the term unicorn gets tossed out a lot. It's lost some of its glamour after being kind of overused over the last few years, but I think BAM certainly fits the description when you're looking at what this potential offense could do over the course of the season. So I, I still have concerns. I don't know how realistically those are going to be fleshed out over the preseason. I think, you know, Jimmy's sitting out on Monday was only for rest. It wasn't a big deal. I don't know that he'll play on Thursday against the Houston Rockets. Regardless, seeing how he plays alongside Kyle is still, to me, the biggest question moving forward over the next couple of days. And hopefully we'll get some kind of clarification, if not on Thursday, later on in the preseason. And from that point forward, maybe we'll have a little bit more of an understanding about what could be expected from this offense. But let me tell you a little bit about something you can expect from a product called Sweatblock. It's been on the market for 10 plus years, uh, 13,000 positive reviews over on Amazon.com. You can find it at CVS as well. It's been doctor created, doctor recommended. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, basically... If you suffer from profuse sweating or if somebody you know might want to do something about that and you're looking for a strong antiperspirant beyond what you'll normally find at your, your over-the-counter type products, Sweatblock is the option for you. It works for up to seven days per use and it has a dry shirt guarantee that if it doesn't keep you dry, you get your money back. Uh, Again, you can wear what you want to. You can move forward with confidence. You don't ever have to worry about whether or not you've got some uh, unseemly stains or something like that that might be embarrassing, especially if you're in a public setting. I've got a friend who's been using Sweatblock. He's a teacher. He's been renewed re renewed confidence this year as he teaches his kids, and, and it's just been a great find for him. But uh, if you're looking to add some more confidence to your life and you want to do something, or if you know somebody who might benefit from Sweatblock, then you can go to CVS or Amazon and find it, or you can go to sweatblock.com and use the promo code locked on for 20% off. Again, you can go to sweatblock.com, use the promo code locked on and get 20% off. Back in 2018, the fantasy sports experts over at Sleeper realized that fantasy basketball was broken. Games were being won and lost based on whose players had more scheduled games that week. It made no sense and required very little strategy, if any. So in 2020, Sleeper released a brand new way of playing fantasy basketball called Game Pick, only available on Sleeper. In Game Pick, owners pick a single game per week for each starter to count towards its team's total score, ensuring an even number of games played between opponents. The days of losing because your opponent's players simply had more scheduled games to play in that week are over. Whether you prefer a redraft keeper or dynasty, Game Picks has you covered. Sleeper, crack the fantasy basketball code. If you play fantasy football, if you prefer building out a weekly strategy versus daily busy work, you're going to love Game Picks. Download the Sleeper app and start a league with your friends today. You will not be disappointed. So at the risk of being the guy who is a downer considering that first preseason game was a very positive one. A lot of great takeaways from that experience. I don't know how sustainable it is, but it's evident that Kyle Lowry's acquisition is a incredible positive for the Miami Heat. And I'm not alone in that uh, observation as the Miami Heat received 47% of the vote from GMs around the NBA regarding which team made the best overall offseason moves. And, of course, Kyle Lowry himself received 77% of the vote 
regarding which one player acquisition will make the biggest impact on their new team. It's pretty clear. I think he's going to be pushing the pace. I think he brings so much to the table in terms of defense, playmaking, leadership. He's just a guy who fits Miami's culture and what they're looking to do. And the fact that he's so single-minded in his pursuit of a title that he chose to come here. He could have gotten paid from the Dallas Mavericks, New Orleans Pelicans, or some other team, but he chose to come to Miami to play alongside his friend Jimmy Butler and to win a title here or to at least go on a quest for a title. And he liked his chances here. So I, I know that Toronto going off in a different direction, Kyle probably wanted to stay there had they been able to remain as competitive as they had been in years past. But he was looking for something a little different. And I think Miami made a lot of sense for him. Uh, but in, in terms of overall moves there, Miami's front office also rated pretty highly uh, from GMs around the league, with Eric Spolstra being voted the best coach in the NBA for the second consecutive year, garnering 55% of the vote. That was a little surprising because last year, I think he got the bulk of that vote considering he had had such a strong showing in the Orlando bubble. A lot of people writing at the time that Eric Spolstra was an incredible coach. He was had done such a phenomenal job of taking a team that not many people expected to go on a deep playoff run to have them focused and just just concentrating on making the most of the opportunity that they never seem to succumb to the pressures, the depression that affected so many other teams and individual players in the Orlando bubble. Their pursuit of a title was incredible, and a big part of that was Spo and his ability to get them to all to focus on the main thing being the main thing. Uh, and I, I just I think that was a big part. That kind of attitude carried over from the following season when they had that uh, GM survey last year. But to, for him to get that vote again, uh, somewhat surprisingly, particularly because there were other individual categories in which Spo didn't rank so high. Um, Monty Williams ranked as the uh, the best a motivator, and uh, there were some other categories there where Spoke just didn't rank high as far as in-game adjustments and things of that sort. Again, somewhat surprising. Uh, I, I just don't know why the view is that Spo is rated as highly as he is. Again, never a Coach of the Year winner, um, you know, frequently admired by general managers around the league, apparently, and yet not viewed as having any one particular strength. Doesn't seem to make sense to me. I'm not. This isn't a criticism necessarily. It's just a curiosity as to why Spo gets that recognition and just and doesn't get it when it comes to the award season. I know a lot of that has to do with narratives, like Tom Thibodeau taking a bad New York, uh, New York team and making them somewhat decent. Uh, that certainly was a big part of it. And Thibodeau, a guy again who has the respect of general managers around the league as well. Uh, Williams, I think, was another candidate for that Coach of the Year award last season because of the incredible job he had done in Phoenix. But unfortunately for him, the vote was somewhat soured by the strength of Chris Paul because as a great a player as Chris Paul is, he had managed to turn around a bad team in Oklahoma City into a playoff contender. He also just instantly fit in with Phoenix as well. And you wonder how much of that vote will be split this year if Kyle Lowry continues to have the impact that we expect he will. Uh, moving on with the GM survey, there was also some defensive categories there in which Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo received some votes in some different categories. Uh, and the Heat overall ranked pretty highly in terms of their overall defense, but not quite as elite, I think, as the Milwaukee Bucks, or at least not in the opinion of general managers there. So tough to really gauge 
how good Miami's defense is going to be, I guess it's kind of just more of a guess, guessing situation. This is fun fodder, right? I mean, you look at the general managers, they're they're saying this now in, you know, whenever they were surveying, I guess last month probably, September, with no reality, uh, no w- real way of, of understanding these kinds of impacts or measuring them because, well, games hadn't been played yet. Games still haven't been played yet. And now all of a sudden we're expecting, you know, Kyle to have a huge impact. That seems likely, but it's all basically a guessing game. Uh, and, and terms of Miami's defense, I don't think it's any kind of, you know, hot take to say that they'll probably be a very good defensive team. They seem like they're focused on that. And I think with a point of attack defender like Kyle Lowry, you're certainly going to have a good chance of uh, improving your perimeter defense. I think everybody else is going to take a leap up. I think that starting lineup uh, with Duncan Robinson, you know, is your quote unquote worst defender. And he's shown some improvement in that area as well. Uh, moving on with a GM survey, uh, Miami received the third most votes to win the Eastern Conference behind Brooklyn and Milwaukee, so kind of fitting in line with everybody's expectations here. Not to say that uh, Miami doesn't have a chance to win it all, but the reality is that Brooklyn and Milwaukee seem more, more talented on paper at this point in time than Miami, and that's okay. You want to be in this position because that puts you in a place where if there's an injury, if there's a problem with Kyrie Irving, if something happens down the road where a player just isn't available for some reason, you want to be able to take advantage of those opportunities. Miami has put themselves in position to do so. Maybe they're one midseason acquisition away from being a super competitor, but I think they're pretty close at this point in time, and I think they show a lot of strength. It could be Victor Oladipo. Who knows? Uh this was an interesting one uh, in terms of the GM survey here. Which team has the best home court advantage? After years of hearing the uh, the talk, the jokes about the South Beach flu and Miami's advantages and this and that and the other, apparently it's the Utah Jazz. Now, I have to ask David Locke about that because I have no idea why Utah has such a strong lead. It might be the elevation. I mean, Denver's was ranked second, so that makes a lot of sense. If it's hard to play in Utah, I imagine there's probably a challenge for players there. Unfortunately, there's also a reputation of being, uh, well, having a somewhat racist crowd. At least there are some individuals in the Utah community there that might not necessarily... Well, it might not necessarily be friendly towards black players in the NBA, so that's that's unfortunate. Hopefully that's not part of why that's a home court advantage because, believe me, if that was the case, I'd rather just go back to the Orlando bubble and not play in front of anybody uh, rather than have that as my strength as a home court is, well, we're, we're more racist than you. Uh, that's not necessarily going to sell tickets. At least it shouldn't. Uh, anyway, I just thought that was interesting because, you know, players – have long, 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 you know, talked about wanting to go to South Beach and play in Miami and, and you know, just be here overall. But I think it's somewhat overstated, too. I, I think a lot of guys, just they don't do that. They don't necessarily go out to clubs. Sometimes they just want to go out to dinner. Sometimes they just want to enjoy, you know, doing something fun. And even if they do go out, the reality is that they're 25-year-old millionaires that have long been able to indulge in a certain kind of lifestyle uh, I don't think it necessarily takes them away from being competitive the next day. If they go out and party that night, they can sleep in the next day. They can skip shoot around. They can go to shoot around smelling of alcohol. It's not the first time, and it won't be the last. By the time tip-off takes place later on that afternoon or evening, I don't think it's that big a deal, and I don't think it necessarily has hindered players in the past. Now, there's always been stories about Michael Jordan, right, uh, during that one season 
where the Chicago Bulls won, what is it, 72 games? I, I lost track now because, of course, the uh, the Warriors eclipsed that mark by going 73-9, and nine, but failing to win the championship because they lost to the Cleveland Cavaliers. However, the 72-10 and 10 Bulls was that kind of high-water mark in terms of overall NBA success. And one of the 10 losses coming to Miami, allegedly because Michael Jordan had you know played 18 holes of golf or something like that. Uh, while he was here in Miami, he hit up the, uh, I, I want to say it was the, the Doral Golf Course, the Blue Monster. If I'm, I, I don't know, my NBA history might need a, a little tweaking when it comes to the Jordan-esque lore and things of that sort. But uh, did it really stop him that much? Maybe he was a little tired. But if we saw anything from the Last Dance documentary is that he all he needed was just an extra little bit of motivation and it would have been enough. Look, it's going to be a factor to some degree. Almost anything is. You can go there. Your, your flight can get delayed. That happens too. Does that lend itself to the home court advantage reputation? Absolutely not because those things are pretty random. If, if you travel to Miami and two players from your 15-man roster go out at night, is that a home court advantage? What happened to the other 13 guys? Do they just suck? I mean, I, this is why these things are kind of – Funny to me. Uh, I know that it's just good content. It's good to get this kind of perspective uh, on how the the national front offices view this Miami team. But I don't know how much you can really take for this as far as whether or not it's a legitimate uh, source of any kind of observation or understanding about what works and what doesn't. But uh, anyway, good fun. But uh, I wanted to tell you a little bit about Bet Online because they're back and better than ever. They're your number one spot for all the pro and college football action this season with new updated website and interface, even more odds, props, and contests. Bet Online continues to be your number one source for everything football. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. And don't forget to use the promo code LOCKEDON to receive your bonus from football, basketball, boxing, right to your favorite Vegas casino games. Don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports. Bet online where the game starts, and don't forget to use the promo code Locked On. Just a reminder that you can always reach me via email at LockedOnHeat at gmail.com or via Twitter using the hashtag AskLOHeat. Be sure to please follow the show and leave a review. And we're also kicking up, of course, our post-game coverage. As always, we'll have recaps after every episode. If you want to send in questions, always use that hashtag AskLOHeat to do so. And you can always reach me via email, send me a direct message, whatever works. As long as you stop, you know, don't stop making contact because I need that feedback. I need people to be able to provide some kind of, uh, well, you know, just add questions because sometimes I may not, I may overlook something. I may not catch everything. And, uh, and I love some of the input that I get from some longtime listeners and people who have sent in questions so often during the course of my hosting this podcast. So I really do appreciate that. And I really appreciate how many of you have taken the time to listen to the show and support me throughout the years. But one, moving on, I want to talk a little bit about Precious Achua, and asked the question, did we give up on him a little too quickly? And as part of the overreaction process, because it's bound to happen, Precious Achua had a pretty solid game in his debut for the Toronto Raptors. Raptors fans all up in arms. They love him. They love the 
attitude. They love him getting the opportunity. They want him to thrive here. They think that, well, they, they are b- big believers in the Raptors' ability to develop players, something that, you know, has been a, a kind of point of contention. As much as Heat fans want to point out, somewhat jokingly, Heat culture and how we can take anybody and get the best out of them because we'll put them in Heat quality shape and we'll develop them to become serviceable players. And there is a tried and tested version of, of you know, being able to do this consistently over the course of Pat Riley's tenure here in Miami. Toronto's had success with it too. Pascal Siakam, a guy who kind of blew up there. Fred Van Vliet, another guy who blew up, you know, just – Overall, they've had a number of players find a way to thrive there. They come up from their their what is it the nine oh five? I think that's the uh, the G League team that Toronto has fielded for a number of years there, and they've done a really good job of just taking players and, and continuing to grow them. And, you know, not quite the same decision making process of burying them over in Sioux Falls the way that Miami's front office has done, but they wanted to be able to take players, mold them teach them how to thrive at an NBA level, and it succeeded. Uh, and now there's a belief that Precious Achua will be next in line to be that kind of player. He had a solid game, 13 points, 7 rebounds, 2 steals, 2 blocks. Uh, did we give up on him? I, I can't. I can't bring myself to that point. Like, I maybe was a little quick, but if it nets you Kyle Lowry, you do it. I, I, part of the criticism from Heat fans, from people around the league, have been how they squander assets. Well, I mean, Precious Achua, again, and I hate the the uh, commodifying language of saying he is you know, an asset or something like that, somewhat dehumanizing. At the same time, Precious held value in terms of helping Miami acquire a superstar like Kyle Lowry with his salary in, com- in combination with Goran Dragic's salary. There's potential there. Uh, you know, with Precious, he just... Well, he wasn't very good in his one year in Miami. And part of that due to how difficult his last season in Memphis had been, uh, the fact that he didn't get a full offseason, that the timing of it wasn't right, that he never had a summer league experience, that he was kind of asked on the fly to find a way to thrive in Miami on a team coming off a failed finals run and dealing with COVID and the most difficult season in NBA history and having to find his role and understand it as a rookie, 21 years old, not an easy task, but I just there were moments there, like we've seen recently, unfortunately, from KZ Opala, where there's just there was a lack of understanding there. Was the skill set there? It could have been. I saw moments there from Precious last year where he would bring the ball up or look like he could handle the ball to some degree, maybe even shoot it, uh, have a nice, you know, just attacking the basket because of his overall explosive athleticism. He had some nice hops good you know physical size but at the same time for all those positives there were always moments there where he just he looked lost like he didn't know what the hell to do like he couldn't handle the ball like it was a foreign object in his hands and i think those moments are going to be evident there uh, in his tenure in toronto but that's not to say that he won't grow and learn like it's been a process for him We, we always kind of overlooked the fact that he took up basketball later in his life he didn't go the same route that a lot of American-born players do and, you know, follow the AAU travel teams and and just be able to grow and develop in that sense and kind of go through that process. Here he is, Nigerian, late in life, taking up basketball, still finding his way around the game and then forced onto this team or drafted by this team, rather, uh, with an opportunity to kind of build on last year's finals run 
and it was just it wasn't an easy opportunity for him and and there were still moments there where he didn't quite take advantage of the chances that he did get so this is a better opportunity for him this is a win-win situation for both Miami and Toronto for Precious he goes to a team with lowered expectations to continue to develop to find his role playing alongside OG Ananobi to go find his role as, alongside you know Chris Boucher and others uh, I don't know if he's going to continue to start there. I, my guess is not, but who knows? Uh, in any case, he just wouldn't have gotten here in Miami, and Miami's happy with Kyle Lowry, so it worked out for them. But having said all that, what I did say in my recap of Monday's win is that I think there are some issues with Miami's front court. I think they're just, they need to shore that up somewhat because you've got three non-factors in Udonis Haslam and Casey Okpala uh, and, and Omer Yurtsevin, who clearly don't look like they're ready for it. And yes, Jimmy coming back certainly helps. I don't want to rely, rely on any of the other players to fill in. They're not. You don't want to have too many more stop gaps. Like there was just there were too many moments where a guy who was basically out of the league last year in Dwayne Dedman came in and saved his possession, saved minutes for Miami. That's that's not really great. Like you don't want to be in that place where you're saying to yourself, man. It's a good thing that Dwayne Dedman went in there and grabbed those rebounds because we wouldn't have been able to get them otherwise. Like That's not a good place to be in. And I still think that you're a move away. You need to find some other way of acquiring a player. And I like to say that I, I think the perfect fit for Miami is Thad Young. I don't know how it's going to happen. It doesn't look like he's going to get bought out. It looks like the San Antonio Spurs are engaged in trade talks for Thad with a number of teams, including the Phoenix Suns. I'm not sure if the Miami Heat are in that mix. But if Miami wants to take that leap from kind of sort of quasi-contender to the legitimate, we can kick Brooklyn and Milwaukee in the teeth and go on our way to the finals kind of contender, then a player like Thad Young, who doesn't move the needle in terms of your casual fan, he's not particularly exciting. Oh, he's just a what, a 13-8 and eight kind of guy? You know, who can make the right play, who knows how to move his feet on defense, who understands his role, who's played for a number of coaches and has had, you know, he's played on teams with, with great playoff hopes. And he's also played on rebuilding teams. He wants a better situation than what's going on in San Antonio. They're in a full rebuild there, whether they want to admit it or not. And given that, Thad has to be champing at the bit for another opportunity to play for a contender. Why not Miami? It just makes so much sense. He would be such a great fit here. Now, he's scheduled to make about $14 million this year. So I can't see a scenario in which Miami trades for him because they just they don't have any kind of players that make that near that amount of money. Um, I, don't, I don't know if you'll do it for a future pick that won't convey and maybe you know some of the younger guys like KZ or anything like that. I hate playing... You know, GM, because well, I don't know the rules, and I, neither does anybody else. Uh, most GMs don't know the rules when it comes to making the right acquisition and things of that sort. I'm no Andy Ellisberg, and I don't pretend to be one. Uh, and so when it comes to Thad Young, I think your best scenario is to agree to a buyout. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure if San Antonio has approached him. I talked to Jeff Garcia of Locked on Spurs. He's talked about it before that he expected a buyout to already have been arranged by now. Maybe they're just waiting to see how much more money they can kind of negotiate. Maybe he'll take half. Maybe he'll take less than half just for the opportunity to play. Uh, you know, he's older, but he can still contribute. He can still play at a high level. He's just he's not going to play for the San Antonio Spurs, so why not just let, let him move on and join a team? And I think he'd be a fantastic fit. He would... 
Uh, he would push Markeith Morris. He would pu- push P.J. Tucker. He might start over those guys in the playoffs. I, if you could get a starter, you know, hey, Jake Crowder kind of worked out for Miami. Nobody really expected him to make much of an impact, right? He was a throw-in to the Andre Iguodala deal. How did that work out? Well, it paid off pretty handsomely for both the Heat and Jake Crowder, and I think it could for Thad Young as well. And I think he should probably keep that in mind if he ever finds himself in a position where he is bought out and looking to join a contender. Well, there's a a track record here, Thad, and I think you could take advantage of that as well. Uh, But that's it for today's show. Special thanks to all of our sponsors for supporting today's episode, and thanks to all of you again for taking the time to listen, for making us your first listen every day. This is David Ramil signing off for now.